conversations that tend to arise between them all. Life is not simple, art is not boring, and the Bible is not just a dusty old book. At least, that's what Charles and I believe. In other words, there's a lot going on here, so join us on the Believing Art Podcast as we attempt to discuss it all and everything that lies in between. I think we should just start today by saying, hi, this is Seth and Charles just talking again (laughs) about art and things related to art and Bible and interpretation, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right. Sounds good. And that's our introduction, by the way, in case all of you out there in Radio Land (laughs) are wondering where the music is. We decided not to do that That's right. That's right. Well, and if you're also wondering if we're professionals at this podcasting thing yet, I hope that... Oh, yes, we are consummate professionals. gave it away. We know everything about podcasting. Well, if you don't know already, I'm Seth Brown. I'm Charles Ricks. And this is the Believing Art Podcast. We're excited to have you guys this week. And we're really excited about this subject, as we are every week. But this one in particular is one that... I had a, a, a kind of a, almost a revelation. I don't want to overstate it, but a really new take <laughs> I, on Joseph, the Bible story of Joseph after seeing this painting. Yeah. Well, I was there when you saw it. You were it, there. And you were, I could tell, there was like, you were, you were rattled. I mean, you were, the, you. Well, this was the one painting that I saw that gave me validation of something that I always had thought uh, growing up about the story of Joseph was that I I always had a hard time believing this guy was that good Mm. because it was always told that from the, from all the way through the story, he was just pristine Mm -hmm. and nobody's that good. Right. So, what we're going to talk about today is how the Emil Nolde painting of Joseph raises some really interesting questions about the character in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, there are some good questions, a lot of stuff to grapple with for sure. Right. Um, but we want to take sort of this opening little segment and talk a little bit about uh, the artist and kind of the time period that he was in, a little background on him, Emil right. Nolde, because he was actually somebody that I had no clue about. Until Vienna, I ran into him, uh, and I did a lot of research on him. So, do my best to sort of recapture that research for for the interested listeners. Uh, yeah, and when we were, you know, in Vienna, we did a lot with German expressionism mm-hmm. because Vienna was certainly a center for that period right. of artistic development. And so, when we were in the Belvedere, really there to do Klimt. Which we've mm-hmm. done some on this podcast. Done twice, two episodes. Right. Um, going out of the museum, sort of winding around through the maze to finish the tour, then this Nolde material just sort of jumped out. It was like, at it was us. like dessert, right? You got the it main, was. You got like the main course, the Klimt, the Chile. And on the way out, you just, you know, snack here and there and there. And we came across this Nolde. And then it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And I was familiar with Nolde because of his dancing around the calf, the golden calf right. episode, which is what my dissertation was on. So I was all things golden calf. So I knew about that one. Uh-huh. I did not know about the Joseph painting. Right. Right. So, uh, Seth, why don't you 
talk, let's talk a little bit about the his period, the period of yeah. art that he was in. Yeah. So uh, Nolday was he was actually a contemporary. He would have been a contemporary yes. of Klimt and Chile, part mm-hmm. of the German expressionist group, as we've mentioned before. Um, and expressionism, if you're not familiar with that art term, it was a movement that that came about in the early 1900s. Um, that was more concerned with capturing sort of the emotional realities of things rather than the physical realities. Um, and so you've got like, you've got like the Renaissance, which was very concerned with capturing the literal physical representation of the object. And then you kind of move into, uh, impressionism, which is a very popular art movement. A lot of people like it. And impressionists were, were recognized that the way that we see the world is a little, it's not as clear cut as the That's Renaissance right. would want you to think it is. And the expressionists sort of took that one step further and they said, well, we're not really concerned with capturing the physical reality of it. We want to capture this really intense emotional, emotional reality. Yeah. And so you get, you get artists, uh, which everyone, I would, I would like to think that most people have heard of Edvard Munch, who the scream, the scream, like that's, that's the quintessential German expressionist painting that we're all familiar with. The, the, the main character in that painting is not really at all what a human looks like. The bridge is not at all what a bridge really looks mm-hmm. like. But you look at that painting and you, you get a, an extreme sense of what that person was feeling. Right. The, it's the utter horror of right. living and mm-hmm. the existential despair and angst is just amped up to the max. Yeah. Which, with the color, the intense color. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and so Nolde was, he was definitely a part of that group, the German Expressionists. Um and he, a lot of his painting kind of grew out of that movement. And so he's, we're going to see with him a lot of bright colors, a lot of intense colors. A lot of uh, his characters are caricatured. They're very, they can be grotesque sort of exaggerations of human figure. Um, and he's trying to make a point with it, as we'll see in, in, in the painting that uh, he does, Joseph recounts his dream. And, and the boldness of the colors are borderline frightening. Yes, absolutely. They, they just hit you in the face yeah. in ways that, that you, the, just the intensity of it um, is what makes you think about, well, what's actually happening in mm-hmm. this picture. Yeah. It can be, it can be pretty off putting actually. Um, very... But scared his wife to death. <laughs> Is that right? So the story goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. He oh. was just horrified. <laughs> I was reading something about uh, him that he would just go out in this cabin and just paint. And his wife would just let him do it. That's right. <laughs> and, oh, well, you're talking about the, the altar or the, um, the life of Christ. The Christ painting. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. And she was, yeah, she was absolutely horrified but, by it. Because it's not a warm, fuzzy painting. No. The angles and the colors um, raise questions about the anxiety and the moment mm-hmm. and the, the the fever pitch of emotions that could be going on. Right. And not everybody's happy. It's kind of ghoulish. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Well, and, and, and again, this movement really kind of took off. Uh, right before World War One, and kind of continued through World War One. So it was kind of dealing with those sort of horrors and anxieties. Yeah, just for those of you who are interested in the music periods, um, 
the the modernism, for example, of Prokofiev, who was very interested in the grotesque, and a, a lot of his music um, reflected an industrial that anxiety of industrialization, mm-hmm. kind of machinery, but also music that that reflected um, exaggerated, grotesque, sharp, angular figures yeah. would could be a, a good companion. I actually really like Prokofiev a, a lot, but a lot of it's very percussive and dissonant. Mm. It's a Russian version of, sure. but it, it goes along with the same early 1900 period. Mm-hmm. Um, Albon Berg was, an, was another Viennese composer of the same type. But all this was going on you know, while you know Debussy, Ravel in the music world, in the French style, right, were about about impressionism. Yeah. So there was a lot happening at the turn of the 20th century, mm-hmm. in which we find these yeah. paintings. That's why we spent a lot of time in the 20th That's century right. so far. I would also add too that Chile, uh, if you want to, if you want to, like a like a um, what's the word I'm looking for. A lot of Chile's paintings, for me, produce similar reactions to what I'm seeing in Noel Day, although not as intense. Chile was also um, kind of part of that expressionist movement. And a lot of his paintings you look at and go, man, ghoulish is is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, but Noel Day kind of takes that feel and amps it up. And amps it up. And amps it up. And but. a lot of Chile's was more sexual in nature, whereas mm. Noel Day's isn't necessarily... Yeah. Erotic. It's just intense. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, he, Noel Day, before we kind of end this little brief introduction, um, he, he was, he painted, he had this period in his life, which we're kind of looking at real intently with this painting, where he produced a lot of religious uh, yes. paintings. Uh, 1909 uh, was the particular year, and it happened as it so often does, uh, he had a brush with death. Um, I, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, he, um, he ate something that poisoned him pretty, pretty badly, pretty, pretty badly. And he came close to dying, but afterwards he came about. And one of his first paintings after that was, um, this painting called the, the last supper. And we'll include that in the show notes for you to look at. And you'll see in the center, it's going to, it's going to have a very similar feel to, the painting we look at today, Joseph recounting his dream, um, the, kind of this image of a central character surrounded by others is, is a very much a recurring motive. Um, but he, he, right. he ended up painting a lot of religious paintings, so he's got a lot of good stuff out there. Um, don't want to restrict ourselves to just this one. but Yeah, and as with all religious art... It is the religious art is against the contemporary political and religious landscapes in which it is done. Yeah. So, as with so many people, even today, that want to look at biblical subjects and they're concerned with, you know, well, how accurate is this? Mm. Um, artists really are not concerned with that. They're more concerned with how to portray the story and the way in which the contemporary viewers would understand the message. Yeah. Right. Which is why you have so much of the Renaissance art, uh, and even your Western European art portraying biblical characters that look like Westerners. Yeah. 
you know, right. or when you get to the this work of Sheila and, and and others where you you see it in the idiom of the day, right? Which is trying to convey the something about that particular story to an audience that would make that they would understand. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's good for a little introductory segment. Uh, we're going to take a try this. We're going to try this for the first, first time. We're going to take a break. Uh, and we'll come right back after the break. Yeah, stay with us. Yeah, we're going to do some magical editing. That's right. Some professional editing. Welcome to the break. Yes, and we are glad that you're with us, and we wanted to encourage you to follow us on Twitter. Yep. At Believing Art. Yep, one word. And follow us on Instagram. Believing Art. Believing Art. One word. And tell your friends and retweet, repost. Yep. Let us know if you've got any suggestions of art pieces yeah. that you oh, might want us to, to take a look at. You can uh, tweet it out and we'll take a look at it there. Yeah. Or you can uh, leave a message on our website. Uh, can we do that? We, <laughs> we can figure out how. We can figure out how. Gosh darn it, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we just definitely want to, tweet, uh, tweet us and, and let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do want to thank the listeners who, uh, are listening. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're always thankful. I've had several of my friends come up and, uh, talk about some episodes and that's been really encouraging. Um, if you listen to us on iTunes, you should rate us. Apparently that's what all the other podcasters say. If you, if you rate us, that helps us be found by other people. Other people. Right. Um, um, on Spotify, I don't think you can rate us, but you can listen to us and we would appreciate that too. So, um, seriously, we do appreciate it. Um, we are, I, I think Charles and I would do this. We, we do this regularly, but we talk about this all the time. That's, yeah. We talk about these things all the time. We don't but, even podcast, it. <laughs> but having, having this, this, uh, avenue to do it. And to share it with, with you, the with listener, you, right. is really exciting for us, and, and it's really meaningful, too, when, when we hear from you yes. guys. So. And this is, this is a field that, uh, at least professionally, that I work in. Uh, so I'm every time I do one of these, I'm always learning something again or fresh or new. Right, yeah. And so we just love for you all to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, I'm just along for the ride. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had studied engineering, but uh, anyway. Uh, so, anyways, thanks, thanks um, for listening. Uh, continue to follow us, and we'll keep you updated. We'll keep you updated. That's and, right. And uh, we'll let you get back to the episode. Okay. See you around. All right. Welcome back. We yeah, missed, we're back. We missed you guys. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's let's just jump right into the painting. We've been talking about it for a while in the introductory segment, so let's just uh, jump into it, shall we? Let's do it. Um, so we're looking at the painting right now, which you should be able to see if you have a podcast app that supports chapter headings. If not, there's a link in the show notes that you can click that will take you to the painting. But we're looking at it right now, Charles and I, and... Um, Charles, just kind of initial impressions. What, what kind of things are jumping out at you? Well, one of the first things we know the story for is the, the coat of many colors. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And so is this painting representing the beginning of the story when Joseph is being surrounded by his brothers in his new coat of many colors? Mm. Uh, or is this at some point later on in the story? Um, that's one thing that I think about. The other thing I think about is, uh, again, just a little bit of the kind of the horror in this story comes through in in this painting. Um, And it makes, you know, this is a brother story, right? So we, if we put it in context with its Genesis companions, you have the Cain and Abel story, which is a story about murder. Mm -hmm. You have the story of Isaac and Ishmael, which is about being chosen and not chosen. Right. Well, and there's, there's some mockery in there. And mockery. There's a little mockery in there. And being cast out into a wilderness, uh, there's a Jacob and Esau, which has to do with uh, deception through uh, dress, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The the deceiving of, of Isaac and yeah. the hairiness of Jacob. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so the story comes in, in that kind of a sequence, right? And so... What is it? We You know, Joseph has this coat of many colors, right? So... What's what's happening with that? You know, there's, um, <laughs> you know, the, the he's the youngest brother, and typically the youngest brothers are the ones that carry the day in the biblical stories. But there's also the reality of the younger brothers, and there's there's ambiguity in the stories of the younger brothers because you really don't know. Like in the case of Cain and Abel. Abel doesn't ever say anything. And so they go out into the field and Cain kills him. But we don't know what happened out there. You know, typical little brothers, not all, but some can I'm, be. I'm, hey, I'm a little brother. You're a little brother. <laughs> but my, we all know how little brother. brothers can be. <laughs> yeah. We also know how older brothers can be. Yeah. But here he has this, this code. And if this is the brothers around him, then what are they thinking? You know, it, it's, it's kind of malevolent. I mean, this painting has some malevolence in it. And Joseph is not necessarily portrayed as any more likable. Right. In this painting. Right. I mean, he's got his own kind of ghoulish demeanor, um, about him and the, the expression on his face is that one of I'm better than you? Is that one of um, look at what I have and you don't? What is that? Yeah. You know, and so is Joseph, this painting raises the question about who is Joseph? Right. And is he as innocent as he is often made out to be? Right. In the story. Is there a reason other than the coat? why the brothers may have wanted to throw him in a pit. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I definitely, when I'm looking at it, I get very similar vibes, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the, the focus is on the faces of the brothers um, and how really distorted and caricatured mm-hmm. they are. Uh, grotesque is another mm-hmm. word. Um, and, and you almost get the sense that like, there's something about this character, Joseph, 
that is almost pulling that out of them. You know? Yes. It's like if, let's say he weren't there, he weren't the focus of attention. Yeah. I get the sense that these brothers wouldn't look like that. You know, that there's something about the moment that's happening where Joseph mm-hmm. is recounting his dreams to his brothers that is really causing them to react in this particular way. Their faces are green. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've got like jagged teeth. And, and so for me, the similar question is raised is what, what is it that Joseph is doing or was it, what is it about Joseph that is mm-hmm. causing his brothers to react in such a way um, that they, right. they are kind of show, being shown mm-hmm. to react in this painting. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about the, at least if, if this is in fact supposedly at the beginning of the story and therefore if what Joseph has on is the coat of many colors, mm-hmm. it's also the... Um, would have been recognized, I think, in at least in Europe and during that time period as a Harlequin. You know, it, it's the the um, the jester, mm. the court jester, oh. and the, uh, the 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 diamonds that, the, that pattern is often sometimes even used in in carnival masks, right? Right at Mardi Gras. Yeah. So that raised that amps up. The bar a little further is, you know, what kind of character is Joseph? Is mm-hmm. he a, is he a trickster? Is he a yeah. um, harlequin? Harlequin? Is he a joker? Yeah, yeah. Um, is is he somehow? Um, he's clearly different <laughs> than all of Absolutely. the rest of the characters. Absolutely. And so what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think what it does then is it then raises the question about how do we interpret Joseph as we go through the story? Absolutely. Yeah. Do we interpret him almost naively as not having any false motives mm-hmm. or do is this painting calling us to be a bit more savvy in terms of how we think about Joseph? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and what, what I'll kind of say, and we can move on down the story and maybe mm-hmm. do some, a- analyze some different parts of the story in regards to this painting. But I know for me growing up that the typical interpretation that I understood, and of course that's obviously different from what maybe a lot of people heard, but for me, this sort of early Joseph that we see here is, is ambiguous. Certainly mm-hmm. um, there's, there's not really a great way to understand him. Uh, there, there's ways that you can understand him as just being sort of like naive or just mm-hmm. oblivious, right? His eyes are closed. Maybe he just doesn't see mm-hmm. that his brothers are hating him, which is fair. You know, like maybe that's possible. Um, but then the story goes, he figures it out. And in the end, he's this very, you know, perfect character by the time he's in Egypt, like right. he's got it figured out by then. Um, and so that's kind of the typical interpretation. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly this painting calls into question his early years. He seems to, I don't know. He, he seems to be sort of aware of what he's doing to some degree. Well, and the the other thing to notice in this painting is green. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of green. There's a, a lot, lot of, green. of green. And this time period, 
could have very well interpreted green um, as envy. Yeah. What's what's the phrase? Green with envy. Green with envy. I, right. Mm-hmm. Which which you know was was even known in Shakespeare's time. Yeah. So um, when you think about what he's pulling out, yeah, it it could be envy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Envy that he is favored. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, but envy is a funny thing, right? If we if we go with envy, because if you are the uh, if you are the object of envy, mm-hmm. then that can also cause you to behave in ways that continue to seek that attention. Mm. And is this what's happening oh, yeah. in the yep. story? Yep. You're talking about going further down the story, so yeah. I'll, I'll let you talk maybe yeah. about that. Well, so an interesting uh, item to follow through this particular story, and really it, as Charles and I were talking earlier outside of the podcast, uh, an interesting item that you can follow as sort of a focal point for conversation, uh, is cloaks or coats Coats. or Mm -hmm. garb, wear, whatever you want Mm -hmm. to call it. And so I think this will be an interesting point to catch up to. Uh, the next point in the story, uh, well, there's the part where Joseph gets thrown in the pit and his brothers actually take the coat and they kill a goat and they cover the coat in blood and they take it back to their father, Jacob, and they say, do you recognize this coat? And of course he does. He knows it's the coat that uh, he gave to his son, Joseph, uh, and he believes Joseph to be dead. But there's another, uh, so that's this next one, but there's another point in the story where Joseph actually has some clothes on and then they come off him, maybe not of his own doing, uh, but because he was trying to run away from a certain uh, wife of a uh, Potiphar's wife. I'm trying to be clever about it. Uh, So he gets sold into slavery and he finds himself working as a servant in Potiphar's house. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of us are familiar with the story. Uh, The wife of Potiphar tries to seduce Joseph. He says, no, we, we applaud him all the time for this. Uh, resisting of temptation. Uh, She continually tempts him. uh, And in one instance, she actually grabs a hold of his cloak and he flees and she's holding the cloak and she goes around, look what happened. Look at this cloak. Uh, And then of course, Joseph ends up going to jail, but we want to talk a little bit about Joseph's motivations for that. And uh, you've got a lot of insight. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. The interesting feature of, of Potiphar is that he's the Hebrew term. One place for him is saris, um, which means uh, is the term that's used for eunuch, um, a castrated court official. And the English translations often refer to Potiphar as a as a, a court officer, or an official, mm-hmm. or some sort, um, which is fairly. It's not common, but it happens throughout the Hebrew Bible that the that in some places eunuchs are obscured, mm. right? That kind of sexual othering is is obscured. Other places, it's pretty much out in the open. But it is a it was a reality of people who served in courts. Mm. And so, for example, at the end of Isaiah thirty nine, uh, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah after he's just exposed all the riches to the Babylonians, he said, you know, there's going to be, 
you know, going to come a time when they're going to come and carry everything off and your sons are going to be taken and made into eunuchs. Oh. Right. To which Hezekiah says, well, at least it won't happen in my day, which <laughs> is a whole nother podcast about what on earth is going on with Hezekiah reacting that way when his sons are prophesied to, you know, be eunuchs. But the point is eunuchs would were known in certainly Egyptian yes. households, a lot of other house, a lot of other um, courts, court households. So if Potiphar is one of those and Potiphar has a wife, then it's not all that surprising that she's going to be looking elsewhere for her satisfactions. And so she sees Joseph and that puts kind of a whole other spin on why she is after Joseph. But the question is, okay, so if Joseph is working for Potiphar, then what's that about? And um, why does Joseph resist her advances? Right. Um, some of the reasons that, that he gives might suggest that he, um, he really maybe doesn't like her. You know, I think sometimes when we say, oh, well, Joseph fleed from the seduction of Potiphar's wife. Well, there's lots of reasons why one would do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it might be because he's this this very righteous person, but that's prob but that's more our reading of Joseph mm. than what the other possibilities that he just he didn't want anything to do with her. Right. He just didn't like her. Right. Well, and let me read how he responds yeah. to her. Yeah, let's talk about that. When she says, uh, this is in Genesis thirty nine, right around verse seven and eight. Um, it says now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And, and that's all well and good, but I want you to hear the order, his reasoning for why he refuses. Right. So, so, but he refused. He says with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. Hmm. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Um, And so the way that he answers her at first reading may sound, I like the way it sounds, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but when you go back and read through it again, the Joseph that we were told that I was told to believe in, or the Joseph that I understood, I, he, sh- he should have led with what he ended with in that. If the Joseph that I grew up with is really the Joseph that we're reading about, it would make sense for him to say up front, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And then you can fill in all the rest Rest. later with, but he starts off by saying with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Then he has this line. No one is greater in the house than I am. You get the sense that Joseph knows where he's at. Like he's got a pretty good understanding of, 
his position. That's right. And he doesn't seem to want to lose that position first and foremost. And then he adds this comment Mm -hmm. about, well, and even in that position he could have, if in fact Potiphar is the eunuch, Mm -hmm. Joseph could have anything he wants. Mm. Okay. What do you mean? Well, what's Potiphar going to do? Right. I mean, a, a, a court official doesn't, if, if the court official has entrusted everything to Joseph, yeah. then Joseph probably, very much like David and Bathsheba, mm. right? David had the power and he used the power to get Bathsheba and have Uriah killed. Yep. Right. And, and Joseph could have done that, mm. right? He mm. didn't. Um, but it's but it's interesting that when we read about read about David, David David led and did what he was tempted to do, mm-hmm. right? But but Joseph in 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 some ways with that recitation of power makes us wonder if he what he stood to gain personally mm-hmm. by not going to, to bed with her. Right. Was this really because he was being righteous or was this because he stood to gain for himself right. by not doing that? Right. Yes. Well, and this kind of touches on a podcast we did about David and Goliath. And Goliath. Um, mm-hmm. David's reasoning for not, or David shows up, to the battle and he asks a question. He says, what will be done for the man that kills this Philistine? And then he goes on to say something about how God should be honored or whatever. Mm-hmm. But his first concern is with the reward. That's way, right. That's right. With this in a sim- similar fashion, Joseph seems to be concerned with something else first and foremost. So we're still this character that we saw in this painting is still very ambiguous. We're not really sure mm-hmm. What he is standing for, what he's interested in, who he's interested in, mm-hmm. if he's interested at all. That's right. With her. And that's right. And, you know, the text talks about, you know, well built and handsome, which is not what you see here. Right. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, it, it, it's, there's a question in the text about why do, why do we need to see that about Joseph. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) and you know, why do we need to see this other version of Joseph? Yeah. In, you know, in, in this painting, it just makes you wonder. Yeah. Um, you know, the more I look at this, the painting and you know, the, the, the more that, um, the more I really, I really wonder if he is just milking the jealousy for all it's worth. Right. He sure seems to be doing that in this painting. Mm-hmm. But it's for whatever it is, it is not in the Nolde day yeah. version. It is not innocent. Yes. Yes. That's right. Um, 
was going to add this thought at the beginning. Um, I kind of forgot about it until now, but you were talking about the story of brothers and some different mm-hmm. themes that you see in the story of brothers, Cain and Abel, murder, um, Jacob and Esau, Esau. deception, right. Isaac and Ishmael, mockery, mockery, derision, laughter. And, and suddenly you begin, at least I am starting to sense all these elements kind of combined in this particular story. Right. The brothers are actually talking about killing Joseph. They right. go, they go, they're actually in a field, right? Yes. They're out pasturing the sheep in Dothan. They go out in a field and they throw him in a pit and they're talking about killing him. Of course they don't kill him. Uh, and then there's tons of deception going on later in the story when Joseph's in Egypt, right? Right. He's an Egyptian guard. His brothers do not recognize him. There's some serious deception going on there. Um, and then sort of this sort of this painting right here sort of unlocked that his brothers seem to be laughing at him or, or sort of provoking this in some way, similar to the Isaac Ishmael. Um, Ishmael yes. laughed at Isaac, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is, um, so it's interesting you, I've, to see all these elements kind of come in, into play in this particular Joseph story. Um, I don't know what that means per se. Maybe somebody who's listening could put it together in a way that I am not, but well, perhaps it's just the, the, the sort of the, the consummate ending mm, to this. Yeah. This is a story about brothers. Mm-hmm. Of course, that story about brothers continues Moses and Aaron. And mm-hmm. so you've got more brothers to come, but certainly in, in Genesis brothers, particularly with the younger brother winding up, on top, mm-hmm. right? Joseph is sort of the crown of that, yeah, the crown of that story. Yeah. Um, but as in the story of Jacob and Esau, the younger brother is not innocent. Mm. Right. Absolutely. And we don't know what Abel did, and we don't know what much about Isaac, other than he seems in later life to be the weakest of the patriarchs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then now this, you know, Jacob is a deceiver. Yep. And now this, and now this story. Yeah. So the other thing it makes me think of is that being favored is not necessarily right. uh, A good thing. You know, the fact that Joseph, was so favored by his father mm-hmm. with this this outrageous coat. Um, you know, did not necessarily play well with everybody else. Not at all. <laughs> and so, in some ways, could could Joseph be? I mean, uh, um, Joseph be a stand-in for Israel? Right. Oh. When you think of the, being the chosen one, right. the favored one, the favored one of God to yeah. take the, you know, be, be the light to the people and the bearer of the laws of God, yeah. you know, um, certainly Israel on the world stage, if we think of all the other nations around it as older brothers, particularly sure. Um, Israel was the would be like a younger brother mm, mm-hmm. 
that was always um, at the internationally at the bottom of the heap. I mean, it didn't it didn't have anything like Syria, Babylon, Egypt. Right. It was always you know wound up being plundered. <laughs> right. You know, but it winds up being saved. Yeah. In the end, just 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 like Joseph, it winds up with uh, you know God being with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like God is with Joseph. God was with Jacob. God was with Isaac. God was with, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. um, this story can work on that level too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with as we wrap up this podcast? I think just questions. We always end with a question. question. Questions. Um, I think I would leave the the listeners with just the just the encouragement to read the story twice. Okay. Yeah. Any story, read it twice. Yep. First time may not be enough to actually mm-hmm. pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. In the story. And and you know, of course the point of the podcast is to allow art to be a conversation partner. Yeah. And kind of break apart um ideas that you may have to consider other possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what art does so well. Mm-hmm. Not just paintings, but music does that too. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, the the one thing that I I kept coming back to as I was looking at this painting is just that notion of of what is it that Joseph is pulling out of his brothers. Mm. I just keep coming. I, I keep getting the sense that there's something Joseph is doing that he is he's causing his brothers to look this way in the painting, causing them to provoking them to envy, provoking them to hatred, perhaps or. So it makes me think of all the ways that maybe I, what are the ways in which I, I could be doing that to people I know and not even, mm, not even good, being aware good. of it, yeah, good you know, one. cause in this, we see Joseph's eyes closed. He's seems like he's not even aware of what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, just, it, it makes me wonder how, how I pull things out of the people I'm around. Mm. And and even the opposite of that. I mean, it doesn't have to be bad, right? It doesn't. No, that's to, right. That's right. It doesn't have, it doesn't to, be have this, to be You know, sort of like I got to be careful that I'm not pulling this, you know, envy or green it grotesqueness out of people. Maybe maybe it's the opposite where I'm actually pulling goodness from people, encouraging them to be better than uh, they've been. Um, and so for me, that's kind of what this painting is getting at is. What is, who is this Joseph character and what is he, what is it, what is he doing to cause this reaction right. amongst his brothers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I leave the listeners with. Good. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. Thanks for listening yeah, to this good. episode. Well, I think next time we're going to be doing another Noel day. Yeah. I really want to do dancing the dancing around, around the calf. calf. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Yes. Uh, we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believing Art.
Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Believing Art, that's one word, for all our updates, episode releases, and other miscellany. We'll see you next time.